Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 56, Justice. And now, by the powers vested in me as the Grand Dragon of the Q Klux Klan, I dub thee fellow Klansman. It's May 11th, to be exact, and we don't know why you're here. What are you doing here? Well, I came to check on you when I heard this guy Clyde in the waiting room reciting the oath of the Klan. This stands for everything my parents told me to fight against, Al. In all my leaps, I don't think I had ever felt more confused by the people I had leapt into. There was part of me that liked Gene and Tom and Grady. They were farmers, just like my parents were. Simple people that cared about their families and about each other. And yet somehow, somewhere along the line, time passed them by, forgetting to tell them it was okay to let go of the hatred and the anger. That a gun is a weapon, not a toy, all right? But, Dad... Look, Daddy, look, when you're older, I'll teach you, all right? But Grandpa says I should learn to shoot for protection. He says there's niggers in the woods. I'm sorry about that, Ada. It ain't his fault. I know the boy didn't mean it. He just picked it up from his grandpa. I thought this was all over when you joined us last night. Or have you forgot about that oath you took? Look, the man has a right to vote. He's a nigger. This isn't why you're here, Sam. What? I said he's a nigger, and and if we don't stop them, they're going to have us all out of our jobs. Then why am I here? It's Nathaniel. Same reason I'm here. Ada's son. The young man standing behind me. They hang him, Sam. Hello, everyone. This is Christopher DeFilippis. This is Allison Pregler. And this is Matt Dale. And you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. And I'm kind of uncomfortable talking about this episode. Um, we, we've reached the season four episode, Justice. And I got to tell you guys, watching this one made me very uncomfortable. It was, it was, it was kind of harrowing. And yeah, yeah um, I mean... I guess that to start off with like initial impressions, uh, it's just so weird. Like usually we come in light, we come in jokey, we come in, you know, just goofing around, right? But 
I'm having a hard time figuring out how we do that this time. The um, KKK doesn't have a lot of uh, room for, for humor. No. Unfortunately. You don't have any goofs on this one? Laughs aplenty. We haven't had this much fun since Sam went to the electric chair. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. There so, we yeah. go, Allison. You yeah. found the time. But you know what? Quantum Leap is a show of many social issues. So, uh, yes. you know, not too surprising we've gotten to to this again. It is, but usually we're still able to break through that with a bit of uh, a bit of humor, at least while we're reviewing it. But I, yeah, I see what Chris is saying. I I approach the recording tonight with uh, a little trepidation because I don't think there's going to be as many laughs as normal. Well, I mean, Allison found the funny, and she's always good at yeah. that. But yeah, uh, yeah. no, <laughs> I, I, it was really funny the leap in when. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's, Sam's in the KKK, uh, which is funny in itself. But um, you know the oh boy after that. I we talked about it last time, yeah. but sometimes the oh boy is just wildly out of place. Yeah, <laughs> I think the most awkward one. It's extremely inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I think this 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 ranks up there as as really not an oh boy moment. But you know, I guess it's it's funny. The old boy never really sticks out to me, but sometimes it's just like a sore thumb mm-hmm. the way it comes across. And I know that that became the show's signature. Yeah. But it was really strained at times. And I wonder yes. if the writers just got sick of having to have the old boy, especially in things like this. Yeah. I mean, like he would, uh, Scott Bakula would deliver it in a different sort of way every time. So, like, he was always trying to do a different mm. kind of thing with it. And sometimes it, it did work when it shouldn't, but uh, occasionally yeah. it just, <laughs> just really didn't need to be there, like with this one. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, it, I guess it wasn't really a challenge for the writers because that was just something to, a point to get to before the opening credits. The challenge was on Scott. It was good that they added the O Boys. Because uh, a lot of the intros in the early seasons, like before Oh Boy became like the signature, uh, had just sort of awkward endings because they really didn't know what point to end the scene. Sometimes Mm. it would be like something crazy is happening. But then there's other times like, oh, no, he's a professor and a pipe falls out of his mouth. Uh, (laughs) Credits? (laughs) (laughs) And it freezes in midair, no less. They did a freeze frame on that one, didn't they? Yeah, that was one of the worst, <laughs> just awkward openings. They're finding their footing, I guess, at that point. But Oh, sure, that was like the, uh, Early the first days. proper episode, really. Yeah, right? But it's funny to me that the O-Boy really doesn't work in this one, because if I were to introduce Quantum Leap to somebody, I might start them with this episode. This Would this ya? episode, to me, is what Quantum Leap is all about. And I, let's get into some initial impressions. I hear you kind of balking a little bit, Alice. And what, what, what are your initial mm. impressions of Justice? Well, I mean, I'm not really balking. I just... Um it's the episode is made fine uh, and it is uncomfortable to watch uh, mostly because it is very relevant today uh it's it is still something that applies to things today unfortunately um it's not one of my favorite to watch because uh, again there's not really a lot of light moments in it and um they have covered sort of similar things in the past and uh, we're spending a lot of time with some good old boys, so mm. uh, there's a lot of that to watch. So I, I guess my initial impression is, all right? <laughs> all right. And how about you, Matt? 
Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, Chris, that you you said that it's this is sort of what Quantum Leap is all about. Um, this represents one aspect of what Quantum Leap is all about extremely well, um, and it it's a really good social justice episode, and it is so well directed and written, and and the performances. I yeah, I I love it as an episode, but as Alison says, it is very tough viewing. And I think there are other elements of what makes Quantum Leap great that aren't really present because it focuses very much on the the very serious element. Okay, you, you know what? Now that you say that, I guess you're right. There are other things about the series that I love. I guess I just see this one as an exemplary episode in the sense of what Quantum Leap can be when it when it mm-hmm. strives, when it, when it's really trying to to send a message and to to make a statement and. It was just, I hadn't, oh God, like all of them, I'm going to start every podcast this way. I hadn't seen this one in years. I hadn't, I haven't seen any of these episodes in years, it feels like. And I just, I forgot how powerful this one was and how just discomforting it was. And like you said, Allison, because it is so super relevant today with what's going on with our political climate and just this climate of fear and hatred Mm -hmm. that seems to be, you know, just overtaking America these last couple of years. And the UK. And the UK? Yeah, I I don't want to speak for the UK, but okay. So it it just seems to be more relevant than ever. And that's why I felt so uncomfortable watching it because, look, I mean, I look like all those guys in those hoods. And Mm -hmm. to have that point of view presented and to realize that the society that i live in is uh, i'm gonna get all i'm gonna get all social justice warrior on, on on you guys i guess but i feel like the society that i live in was built for guys like me for the advancement of guys like me mm-hmm. and a lot of what i saw on that screen is sort of the backlash of that it's just like well you have to keep others out and you do it through terror and you do it through fear and you do it through hatred and when it's just so in your face like that, it, it, I was just like, oh, like I, I, I really, I, oh, it, it made me, it disturbed me. It, it made me very uncomfortable. I think one of the, the uh, points of the episode uh, that they push and, and portray very well is that the members of the KKK that they portray in this are so normal Mm-hmm. They're a bunch of good old boys eating chicken together, uh, helping their families with their crops. Uh, yep. They're a community. Yep. They're a family. Um, some of them they portray as almost likable. And it's so relevant today because that is how white supremacy works. People don't walk around like cartoon supervillains. They are people that you know. They're yeah. uh, c- people that are, that have many different facets. Uh, they could have good qualities about them and still be hateful bigots. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what makes it so uh, insidious because it normalizes it in people's minds. Uh, it's what happens with uh, with Cody in this, the the child of the, the guy that he leaps into. Um, he thinks that uh, the robe is like a costume. It's just a mm. normal part of his life. Boom! Oh, goodness. Cody. I'm a ghost! I'm a ghost! Cody, I'm a ghost! Take it off right now. Take this off. Ada, what are you doing with this? I was just playing. Well, this isn't something that you play with, son. But Bill's daddy has one, and I, he lets him wear it. I don't care what Bill's daddy does. But you're in the hunting club with him. 
and that that was a disturbing scene. But I'm I'm curious to know some of the dynamics of of sort of the character work here because you know when you think of like the clan you think of it as a secret organization yet it was a very open secret in this episode to the point where you know they had help that that was that was black they were right next to a a black church apparently mhm clyde's house is is right next door to the church that blew up so i'm i'm wondering like how characters like ada would have fit into that wouldn't it have been a little bit more of uh, on the down low or would it have been so blatant? I, I have no knowledge of this. I'm not versed in, in the way any of that went down. So it just struck me as sort of glaring and in your face. And if Ada is working for them, what what is she doing there? I I, I, I don't I found it very confusing. Oh, it definitely would be that blatant. Yeah. No, it would absolutely be that way because racism is systemic. It's everywhere what choices she have like you know the 50s was not that far away from slavery yeah i mean especially in the south uh, a lot of black people would be working for racist redneck people uh you know as um maids or servants or whatever you'd want to call it um you see in the episode there's like a sprinkler with a, a caricature of a black person on it uh, that sort of imagery is still around in the south in some places so uh, yeah it would be that blatant mm. uh, just there was an incident recently where um someone had written in a, to a newspaper uh in the south about how they wish the kkk would come in and wipe people out it was so blatant mm-hmm. this is the same kind of time frame as color of truth and yeah, you, you can look at characters like Ada and, uh, yeah, exactly as Alison said, what choice would she have? She was stuck working for families like that. And exactly as Ada says, it's just the way it is. So I don't think um, white supremacy generally has ever been done, particularly on the down low. Um, we had a, a few decades of it, maybe, but certainly back then it wasn't. And now it seems to be coming to the forefront again. People are, are quite proud of their views which is another reason it's this is quite an uncomfortable episode because we're starting to see some of this stuff that by the time Quantum Leap got made, we thought we'd started to get past. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe less so. And then, yeah, for, for people that look like Chris and I, uh, suddenly to see characters on screen looking like that and behaving like that, it's, um, yeah, it's difficult to accept. Well, and it, think about it this way too. When it becomes so normal to be blatant about it in society it becomes more and more blatant uh, because everyone else is like that or people in power are like that that's why we're seeing it with the trump administration now Mm -hmm. um that's why it seems like there's a resurgence because it never really went away but now people feel emboldened to do it and especially back in the 50s this was very normal right Mm -hmm. it's getting normalized again because yeah. the tenor of the conversation has just gone so far south in this country that it seems like there are no sacred cows anymore. Nothing is off limits. You can be as bigoted and hateful and as uh, racist as you want in public discourse. And yeah. there's like a whole faction of people that have now come out in support of that. And mm-hmm. I, I'm frankly astounded that this is where we are in the 21st century mm-hmm. and that things have gone this way, that the pendulum has swung so far back. Yeah. I just, I just hope that it, uh, you know, starts starts swinging in a more progressive way soon. It's, it's, 
Uh, yeah, it, I knew that we were going to be talking about more modern day stuff with this one because it just begs the comparison. Sure. We can't we can't help it, and I'm sure we're alienating some listeners out there. But I mean, the, the, well, the facts. If, dude, if they, the facts <laughs> if are undeniable. People think you know, that white supremacy is okay. If they think that this was the line that's drawn, like they don't need to be listening to this podcast. I don't really understand how you can you can be a fan of this show and hold these ideals. No. I mean, I just don't understand how you hold these ideals in society at all anyway, but... But please feel free to contact us using the usual phone number, email address. <laughs> do <you> th- <laughs> Explain. <laughs> do we have a big white supremacist fan base? I really hope not. <laughs> we're we're going to find out after this. <laughs> oh, man. It's just that we, we live in such charged political times yes. that if you take a stance on anything, I think that some people are going to take umbrage. And that's really where I was going with that, Allison, as far as alienation. It just seems like you can't say anything without crossing someone mm-hmm. sure but this was this was quantum leap's bag quantum leap was the social justice warrior of shows back then yes. you know well, i mean true. they always took on issues like this and that was the point like they weren't afraid to take on controversy or, or issues that that needed to be talked about and it shouldn't be a controversial stance to say the kkk is bad yeah you're absolutely right with that and for a show that i've criticized in the past for doing things in a very pat, very safe way. This episode was anything but. This episode was visceral and in your face, and there were no punches pulled by anyone. And I mean, I think that it comes down to the episode worked so well, not just because of the excellent writing, but the excellent casting for the good guys, the quote, good guys and the villains. And it was, it was Noble Willingham who played Gene. Must have I, I don't know what he was channeling, but man, he was he was both personable and scary and yeah. awful, and I, I it, it's what you were saying before, Allison. It's it's just so insidious that you know these the, these people can have good good qualities and they believe in family and community and whatever, and it almost felt to me like they were too nice in that first scene because it was it was almost like a nostalgia trip to me it was just like well, aren't these aren't these supposed to be the bad guys and they're mm. sitting here talking about helping each other and really seem to be genuinely concerned about their community and their neighbor and then i realized no well that's what makes this such a brilliant episode because they're mm-hmm. not approaching this in such a two-dimensional way they're making it so that you can see where these people would have existed in society just just like Allison, you had pointed out earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why don't we talk about some of those, the, the themes? I mean, obviously we are tackling the civil rights issue here and um, seeing um, that scene at the courthouse, you guys want to talk about that when, when we get introduced to Nathaniel as a character? Yeah. Wonderful scene. That was a tough watch. That, yeah. was, a, that was a tough scene. Also for, for poor Sam to have to act at a character like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it it takes that weird turn at the end where I don't even know if if it was written this way or if Scott just felt like he needed to break the tension somehow or whatever when he does that weird like ushers his hand forth and with his arms. Yeah, no, you you let me get you down there to your car because it is a long way, and I'll just lead you down there, guy. It's right this way. Come on, come on, right down here, huh? <laughs> Here we go, right over here. Let me get the door here for you. Your chariot awaits you 
was like, what, what's going on with, with that? And it did serve to sort of break the tension. But I can't imagine having to prepare for that scene and having to do that scene. So It wasn't meant to be funny. It was meant to be patronizing. He was acting like uh, one of the uh, those racist guys at the courthouse would act like. He was playing the part. Um, hmm. And I think, like, Scott Bakula does such a great job just how disgusted Sam is at everything that he has to do in this episode. Um, immediately uh, after he leaps in, he, once he gets to a point where he can get away from them, he's ripping the robe off Yeah, mm. because he's so disgusted by it. And he immediately says that he can't change them. And Sam is usually someone who's like, today I'll solve racism forever. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah. But he's like, no, I can't change them. And and it's so confusing to him because they're like people that he grew up with, yeah. but they're so far away from his world. He just doesn't understand it. Yeah, and I thought that was maybe the strongest line of of the early part of the episode when he just blatantly said, I can't change these people. Mm-hmm. Usually the show can be a bit Pollyanna about things like that and his ability to solve problems. But for him to know what he's up against and just say, what what the hell am I here for? I can't I can't do anything about this. It was I thought that was the strength of the episode, even though he does find a way in the end to make a difference. He finds a way to solve a one incident. One, yeah, one yeah. incident. And, and the guy who played Nathaniel, too, I just want to yeah. say, like, he was really great in this. Yeah, his name is Michael Beach, and um, he was excellent. And Fran Bennett was excellent as Ada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I loved most about Fran's, Fran Bennett's um, turn as Ada is that you could tell that she was accepting of the way things were. She didn't like it, but it didn't stop her from being personable. You could tell, I think, that she really liked Clyde. And Clyde is a different kind of guy than most of the people that she is around. Apparently, he's much more progressive. He wrote Nathan all these letters in college about how all men are equal. And it would have been interesting to see how Clyde came to these views, how he broke the pattern. And um, Sam teaching the son how to shoot, saying every generation has to learn it anew. I wonder who taught Clyde that, you know, it wasn't okay to hate. And then all of a sudden, Lily comes along, blowing it up. I thought this was over. Every generation has to learn it anew. Please, Clyde, I don't want you filling his head with things that ain't true. But it is true, and you know it. If someone who was like Clyde, would they necessarily be with someone like Lily? It just struck me as as weird. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it strikes me that Clyde is very much, he, he is stuck between two worlds and most of the world that surrounds him is this very powerful white world and he's not going to find that many allies amongst his amongst the white folk of that community. And yeah, it, I can see in that respect why he would reluctantly end up with someone like Lily because yes, he's aware that he sees things a different way to other people. He's not going to be able to surround himself with a lot of other people uh, that that see things like that. But he struck up this friendship with Nathaniel. Maybe that's what started him down this route. Maybe it was the friendship with Nathaniel that made him realize that actually we're all just the same. Um, but yeah, I I see it as entirely possible that he he could be 
both of those people at once. And you can also love someone and hate something about them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it doesn't mean just because uh, she holds racist views that he doesn't have other things about her that he loves yeah. her for and he wants to be able to change her mind. It doesn't make it right, but it just goes with the theme of the rest of the episode and that, like, people who are hateful aren't often just cartoonishly one thing. Yeah. But it, it's it's very hard to hate something about someone and that to be an issue when that's something you see around you all the time. Yes, it can be problematic, but if he put Lily out of his life for that, he'd also have to put all of his friends and family out of his life. He's he Clyde must know he's the outsider there, not Lily. And he's trying to change them from the inside, yeah. which is yeah. why he joined the group in the first place. And uh, one thing I wanted to note, too, about this one, um, sometimes Quantum Leap can be a little bit white savior-y. <laughs> it can be, mm-hmm. You know, the white guy's got to come in and save them. But I think in this case, uh, it needed to be a white person to make the most difference in this case. Yeah. Uh, because the KKK is not going to listen to a black man. And sometimes change has to come from someone in a position of power. You have to use your privilege to be an ally. Yeah. That does make sense. But it, it's just if, hmm, if that was the case, you know what? No, that's, that's, that's wrong. I'm thinking wrong because there were extenuating circumstances that Al's feeding him. I, I was just thinking about that. Then that courthouse scene should have gone a little bit differently. And for Sam to give up right away, uh, it was, but, but it was because he had Al telling that was him, you, Al you need, feeding you, him. Yeah, you yeah. need to do it this way. I wonder what it would have played out like had it gone originally if Clyde was there in that moment. I guess that would have led to Nathaniel's death. At some point, and that's what Sam was trying to prevent. But yeah, I just just uh, a lot to chew on in this. Well, episode. he can't like also just join up with the KKK and then immediately be like, "Hey, black people are our friends," you know? Like, <laughs> I think like there's ways of of doing that. That like, I think his baby plan steps. was to yeah, baby steps. Like like Matt saying like just uh, you can't just immediately be like I'm completely different or. I mean, they're not going to accept you in the group. Mm. Yeah, but I, I'm just thinking, why would Clyde want to join the group in in the first place? It, it it just strikes me as counterproductive to the kind of society that he wants to build. You're not going to change an organization like that from the inside. You're not going to. You're not going to sway those people. Yeah, but he'd also know what they were going to do, what they were planning. He could talk to Nathaniel. I mean, like, there's advantages to knowing what they're doing. Yeah, and that puts him in a very perilous position, especially if his father-in-law is the Grand Dragon, mm. or as Al calls him, Grand Dragon Breath. So Dean found some no. humor in it, I guess. <laughs> See, there's the funny we part of the episode. The Al's great in this episode. He uh, he saves the kids in the church. Uh, yeah, Abraham he Lincoln. Solves, he solves that part of the leap. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they think he's Abraham Lincoln. Excuse kids, me? Were they not the most adorable kids you've ever seen? They had some crazy so white excitable. man. <laughs> it's an angel, not with those clothes. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that that when, during during that scene, that that little crowd of kids, the the little boy on the far right, looks so proud of himself every deli- every time he delivers a line. He oh, has two man. or three lines, and after he's spoken, he's like, "I just said a line." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those kids are freaking adorable. I feel like that was a good time on set for those those yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it, I mean, it just compounds the the horror of of what these people are doing to blow up an entire church filled with children is is monstrous i mean it goes beyond it's subhuman it's it's and how i know things like that did happen too i know they did they did i'm just wondering it's just like where was there a line where it was so it was so like again the the I'm surprised at how blatant some of this stuff was. And maybe this is skipping to the end where Sam gives his speech, but there are so many people gathered around this lynching. When you think it's something that would have happened in the dead of night, under cover of darkness, somewhere deep in the woods, just to get rid of Nathaniel, to have everybody standing around while they get ready to to lynch this man struck me as a as a bit incongruous. I know it was needed for the episode so that Sam could make his speech. But would would was it Cody, the the child, his son? Would the son necessarily be there? Would would they be doing this front and center in front of the wives and families? Yes. Yes. You know this and I'm not it happens. I'm, I'm not challenging you. I'm just I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm asking like do you have historical knowledge or i know what happens i'm just thinking that does it happen in this way i think it did i mean uh i i hope if if i'm wrong someone can correct me but um i think it did happen that way i mean because uh in towns like that especially around that time uh everyone's like the like the police the police are white guys that are in on it i mean like they would help cover it up i mean it just doesn't it just they were allowed to be that blatant about it. Every, everyone accepted it. It was normalized. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Because the sheriff was obviously in their camp, as we saw yeah. at the courthouse. So it, it would have been able. Yeah, they would have been able to just do whatever the hell they wanted. It's just again, it, oh, so uncomfortable and so monstrous and so awful. And I, I feel like I'm a broken record. So let's let's talk about other stuff that we liked about the episode. Um. I liked the uh, the music in the episode. Oh, that yes. was really great with the uh, the strong vocals and the heavy harmonica. That mm. was yeah, yeah, and those 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 slow motion images of you know just the clansmen running through the woods, you know, with the lantern swinging and everything. That was yeah, very very powerful imagery. Yeah, lots of smoke and dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was something else. Um, I think there were a little too many red herrings, though, in the sense that, you know, come on, we got we got club business, let's go, and then it's like a birthday party. And it's like, hmm, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess. I just, that, that's something that struck me as odd. It felt like they, they kind of took some of the tension out of the episode with that, um, just so that they could have Sam interact with Lily after the mm. fact. That's the way I feel. And it was another, I think, also they use that as an opportunity to maybe humanize Gene a little bit more mm. to show you that he liked Clyde and it sort of helped build believability for his decision at the end. And I want to discuss that in itself, but um, 
before we get there. If you guys have any points that you want to make or, or th- observations or, or what's what. Uh, there's a line that Ada says uh, to Sam. Yours is just one voice speaking in a hurricane. And the last episode was about a hurricane. Ooh. Does this go back to the, uh, what, the it, what did Albie call it? Back. The burger theory, yeah. <laughs> the burger theory? Huh? I don't know. Well, spotted. It all ties in together. Hmm. There's a scene where Sam is uh, shooting the cans with Cody, mm-hmm. and he bl- he just misses it by a mile, yeah. <laughs> and he's like trying to save face <laughs> about it. All right, now watch those cans up there. You watching them? Here we go. We're probably too far away for this short of a barrel, you know? Let's move up here. I just found that very funny. Like, I think he would uh, be they... a better shot, don't you? I feel like he would be. <laughs> We've seen him hunt. We've seen him shoot. And uh, it, it, that scene worked exceedingly well. Um, for an episode with a lot of tension, there were also a lot of like quiet moments hmm. where we were able to get um, some good content to break it up. It, there wasn't a lot of filler here. Every Every scene seemed important. And... I love the fact that going back to like the show's mythology, they realized, oh, Al can do more on this leap. He can go solve the problem at the church. And um, I wish that they had written in more opportunities to do that. I guess it's good that they didn't because then it could just become a crutch. But in this case, I think it worked exceedingly well and built upon something that, you know, they they already established in the show. One of the more siphonal sci-fi elements of it. And I was happy they were able to bring that into this. If you got an invisible man in the future mm-hmm. who can walk through walls and spy on things or talk to kids or whatever, like, why wouldn't you use him? Like, it's a good asset to have. But sparingly. And I don't like any time that Al interacts with kids. It's, yeah. it's adorable. Everybody stop singing, stop singing, stop singing. You gotta be quiet. Listen, I'm just here to try and help you, it's huh? It's the Lord. What? No, 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 I'm not the Lord. No. It's Abraham Lincoln. No, it's not easy, bitch. That's some crazy white man. <laughs> <laughs> Teen really played that well. <laughs> I do love the look on his face as he mouths Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's very confused, just like yeah, the audience. I yes. just don't... <laughs> Where do you even start to unpick that? <laughs> and when he's like helping, like they're all like going out in a line, and he's like, "Yeah, go on, you go on here," like just yeah. like <laughs> wrangling them through the night. Yeah, it's pretty good. That was an incredible sequence, though, blowing up that church. Oh yeah, Sam yeah. got kind of messed up, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he got caught right, right in the blast. Yeah, not as much as black and white on fire, but he still got pretty messed up. Yeah, and I'm, I guess that wasn't stock footage from another Don Belisario production, was it, Matt? <laughs> With- no, as far as I know, no. No, that yeah. looked like the stunt guy was really that close. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was harrowing and mm. crazy that because the amount of, I mean, I mean, they blew that thing to smithereens. It wasn't just like a. It was, it was an inferno. Yeah, and like, when Sam's running toward it, he thinks those kids are still in there. Yeah. Yeah. He thinks that they just got blown up. It's a tense moment. Yeah, and we think that they got blown up too. 
when he's running toward the church, even before it blows up, uh, you can see that his wrists are bleeding from like from trying to cut the rope off with the glass. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't noticed that Oof. because I was watching on my phone. <laughs> so <laughs> not optimal viewing for for Chris, but uh... for a kind of squint, I can see their faces. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently there were some people in this episode. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I had the closed captioning on so I could hear everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um just just the the effect also of that when when Dean walks out of the church that's still, you know, on fire. Um it was an obvious effect shot, but I, I was gonna say, even on your phone, surely you saw that was that yeah. was one of their worst bits of blue screen ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. it, it was just because they're doing it on tape it looked so yeah. blurry and, and yeah. gross looking it was really unfortunate because I think if it had been not on tape it would have looked yes. pretty good yeah, yeah I, I mean yeah I can't defend against that Matt you're absolutely right but, but the fact that Al is brave enough even though they're holographic flames mm. to be walking around maybe because he's checking to see if everyone got out or maybe you know I know they just wanted the neat shot but, yeah, but he could, like, you know, make sure no more kids are right. in there, because Sam's right there in case someone needs a rescuing. Yeah, and in terms of the character, you know, I just thought it was it was something within Al's character and how heroic he is as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And I know I, I joke about it being a bad effects shot, but, you, you know, you suspend disbelief. It's a very well set up shot. It, it looks very good. It's it's very well put together. It's just it's technically a little bit below par, but it's... um. It adds to the moment. What a what a great stunt that was. I mean, I guess that must have been somewhere on the Universal backlot where they had that structure and they just blew it to, to hell. Yeah. I really wonder about that stunt guy. Like, I don't know if that was Diamond Farnsworth or someone else, but I really wonder what happened there because it, it looks very close. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was engulfed. I hope they were all right. Yeah. yeah, and that was before they could CG fire into stuff. So, yeah, that guy, that sure. guy yeah. Well, yeah, but you know they can they can shoot this stuff with different depths of field, and it makes it, you can make people look a lot closer to things than they actually are. It does look extremely close, but I I'm going to bet if you were actually there on the day, he he was probably a good safe distance away. Mm, well, well, I hope so. You hope, you hope. <laughs> it looked really good. If it if did. he wasn't that close, it was an effective stunt. Yeah. yeah. And whoever whoever blocked that scene, yes, they did a remarkable job. So yeah, bravo. I, w- I wanted to point something out that doesn't relate to that, but uh, just wanted to note it. In the scene at the courthouse, uh, Sam is wearing a seersucker suit. Yes. And uh, I think there are a few more terrible things to wear than a seersucker suit. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, Jean-Pierre. Um, that fabric is made by the devil, and I hate it. <laughs> and it's really unfortunate. Didn't we uh, find that particular suit for sale somewhere no it was a suit from a from a promo shot you're thinking oh of. that was the promo shot yeah just a little peek behind the scenes allison is a little <laughs> bit of a i don't know fashionista and <laughs> her quantum leap jean pierre love comes out uh, occasionally on the show threads that we have and she finds these clothes for sale and well uh, that one the one you're thinking of was not a jean pierre suit though I do not want to besmirch uh, Jean-Pierre's <laughs> name with this particular suit. Um, I think it was just something that they had uh, at Universal, like in their costumes, because it wasn't tailored to Scott Bakula or anything. It was just 
a suit because it was from one of those like early season one promo shots right where uh they just have scott bacula in a bunch of different costumes get out the dressing up box and play around yeah so he's like dressed up like a hippie with his yeah. like hands up shrugging like what you know? <laughs> then we got uh, dean stockwell in front of him like oh this guy <laughs> like this is what this show could be Yeah, so they have, like, a suit that was for sale from that, and it has, like, a little tag in it with Scott Bakula written in it, and uh, I think someone bought it. It was was too rich for my blood. And to be fair to Chris as well, I think the listing did say that it was a a genuine on-screen used costume, which, as Alison's quite rightly pointed out, it it was not strictly. Um. That person was a liar. Report them to eBay. <laughs> I hope whoever bought it um, is happy with their purchase. I mean, it's better than Seersucker. I'll say yeah. that. <laughs> I guess anything's better than Seersucker. <laughs> it just, it's always so puckered and wrinkly looking. It's, how, how do people like that? I had a boss who had a Seersucker suit. <laughs> Sometimes he wore it on camera and he looked like the good humor man in a wrinkled suit. <laughs> it was just awful. You're absolutely right, Alison. <laughs> That's a little bit of a tangent. That's a little bit of an aside. But um, I wonder, you know, if there is just a department within Universal and any TV production where they store the Nazi uniforms <laughs> and the Klan uniforms and, you know, just all of like the the, the bad guy uniforms, because it strikes me as um, I remember in like Star Trek, they would just use, I guess, costumes that they yeah. had. And one planet was like Nazi planet, <laughs> so I guess they had, they just broke out all the old SS uniforms from from the movies. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, did they have to make these robes for just this episode, or were they just hanging around the costume department because they're ready props that that they've probably used? Were before? these genuine Jean Pierre robes? Yeah, right. <laughs> genuine Jean Pierre KKK <laughs> robes. Now that's something I would buy. <laughs> Uh, I think, like, if they were already made, and Universal could have had, like, KKK costumes already, uh, they would just do that, because it would just be practical to use what you already have. I think most of the custom-made things were uh, the uh, outfits for Sam and Al, and occasionally for the other actors. I think, like, if they had costumes they could use, they Mm. would. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure they would. I was being tongue in cheek, but you are the sort of the fashion watcher on this show. So hold forth. I know that you were thrilled with Dean's outfits in this. I know that you had to be. What was he wearing in this one? He was he was reusing some. There was like the. I think it was just the one, wasn't it? He had this funky green hat in the beginning yeah. of the courthouse scene. He had the, the green hat and the green shirt and then the jacket with the stripes. And I think he wore that same outfit in Honeymoon Express, but without the hat. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I guess what struck me was that that bright green fedora. Yeah, he wore that in uh, Another Mother, I believe, and also Heart of a Champion. I do remember the green fedora. You are a savant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Matt's got a catalog of everywhere he wore the green fedora. Yeah, I, I was just flicking to it now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, school us on this. Did I did I catalog the hats? I might not have catalogued the hats. Oh, my God. Oh. I did the shirts, shirts, ties, waistcoats, jackets, accessories. Accessories? Wouldn't that be accessories? No, that's literally just all his badges. I. Well, didn't the hat have like a little like little yellow sunglasses or something on it? 
The hat? Or was the, the tie clip or something? I just remember like a little yellow sunglasses, like a pin or something. I don't think it was in this episode. No. Anyway, I, I've really derailed us. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that, I think he just wore the one outfit through the whole thing. Yeah, he did. And um, I don't think he wore it in Honeymoon Express. Um, he might have worn it another time. He didn't wear the hat, but the, the outfit was. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Anyway. Well, okay, here's another funny thing I wanted to mention in this comedy episode. (laughs) Uh, When uh, Sam is uh, shaking Gene's hand at the beginning when they're all eating chicken, Mm -hmm. um, he has a cup in one hand and a drumstick in the other. And Scott Bakula has to kind of hold the drumstick like a cigarette or something. (laughs) Yeah. He's got to kind of, like, stick it between his fingers to try and make this handshake work. Yeah, but I I love the fact that he was, at first, using it as an excuse to not shake hands at all. Mm -hmm. And Al had to admonish him, shake it. You need to convince Mm -hmm. these people you are who you are until we figure out what's going on. And um, you could just see the, the disgust writ large on his face. And I thought that that sure. was, yeah, I thought that was a great way to get into the episode. And like you said, to get into Sam's frame of mind, knowing just with his body language, because he's not able to say anything at the moment. And then he has that scene, Allison, where you talked about where he's just ripping off the robe. It seems like it physically pains him yeah, exactly. to be wearing this. Like Scott Bakula did a, a great job with that. And it, we mentioned too, uh, Michael Beach, that's who played Nathaniel? Yes. Yeah. Michael Beach did a fantastic job with this. And I've seen him guest on other things, too. And he's a he's a really solid actor. And uh, I like that it wasn't just him looking at Sam as the good guy trying to save him. He was pissed at him for yeah. most of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was trying to solve this himself. So it wasn't like... They were just standing around waiting for someone to save them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's also, I mean, you saw a bit of a journey that Nathaniel took in this episode from trying to do everything by the book and beating them at their own game with the reading tests and making sure that, that um, the, the gentleman that he brought to register to vote knew everything cold so that they wouldn't have anything to use against him, even though it didn't work. Um and then at the end of the episode, so enraged, so incensed by the atrocity of blowing up a church full of children that he was ready to, to murder them himself. Mm. And it, it, it was to me and a, a very effective way to show that, that hatred begets hatred, that violence begets violence. And you have someone who is trying to be as rational as possible to change the system and is just driven to this murderous rage because it's just so unthinkable what just happened. And the fact that Sam stepped in um, at the end, at well, I have some problems with the end of this one, guys. I, I don't know. Um, are there more points that you want to discuss before we talk about how the episode ended? No, I have some problems with the end as well. So I'm happy to get to that. I wanted to say before we get to the ending, because I, I feel like, I know some of the points you guys might bring up about it. Um, uh, Michael Beach, I think his best delivery, his best scene was when uh, Sam is patronizing Nathaniel at the courthouse 
And he says, well, what if I called you a stump yeah. dumb cracker? Yeah. Everything I said up there, I did not mean, all right? What if I called you a red-necked, white-butted, stump dumb cracker? That still stings, doesn't it? Even if I didn't mean it. Like, even if you didn't mean it, it would still hurt. So I, I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that that was, that was a, a, a really good scene. And the fact that just the copious use of the N-word in this episode, mm-hmm. it's sort of the, you know, the elephant in the room that we're not talking about, but that wouldn't air today. Mm. And it's funny to I me. I don't know, though. Uh, I well, think, like, in a, mm. in a period context, I think that they could. It wasn't like they were they were throwing it out there casually like that. It, it's supposed to be uncomfortable because that's what people said back then. Uh, still now, I guess. I tell you what, though, I'd be interested. Uh, I mean, I watched this on the NBC app as usual, so it was uncut and everything was, you know, the way it aired. But I'd be interested to see what Cozy TV does with this episode. I'd be interested to see what any network that's rerunning Quantum Leap does with this episode now, because that has just become such a non-starter. I mean, there was even an episode of uh, DS9 that I watched, the Far Beyond the Stars, Mm -hmm. where Jake's character in that, he uses the N-word a couple of times, and they cut it out. They even cut it out of the closed captioning, even though it's in context, even though it's in the period. Yeah. You know? Okay. And I remember that that word popping up regularly on shows like All in the Family, and that was just in syndication when I was a kid. It wasn't mm. uncommon to hear it in context of racial issues. Mm. And for it to be so blatant and so repeated on Quantum Leap, yes, it does. You're right, Allison. It does fit the, the period. But I'm, ju- I'm just curious to know if 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 it would survive intact in today's TV environment. I hope that they keep it intact because I think it's important that that word is used to understand like how harsh this is. Yeah, by all means. And like I said, this episode doesn't pull any punches Mm. and that was a big part of it. And even having the kids say it in, in front of Ada, like it was no big deal and showing you that, that it's just like, insidious and uh, anyway um very very it made the episode that much more powerful in my opinion and Mm -hmm. that much more uncomfortable to watch to be honest with you so but what if sam gave a big speech yeah about racism (laughs) give his captain kirk speech at the end (laughs) (laughs) is that what you guys were, were getting at with the ending is this part of your problem part of my problem with the end matt i'll let you go first because i have a feeling we might have the same problem I, I'm not sure because, yes, the Captain Kirk speech. It's it's not the first time Sam's done something like that. It won't be the last. I I let <laughs> that gloss over me. Uh, I actually only have one quite specific problem with the ending. So I think you're probably gonna, from the sounds of it, go for it a bit more than me. Um, my problem is with Lily, um, because Jean and possibly the others reluctantly change their plans and you can see in Jean's face this is maybe okay nothing's gonna happen right now because uh, this is my son-in-law and this has given me some things to think about Lily who for the whole episode has been quite wide-eyed and well yes this is just the way things are and she's you know been quite casually racist from start to finish 
suddenly says, oh, I'm so proud of you. This is such a wonderful thing you've done. I, it stuck out quite a lot. I I would have preferred that she'd have just stayed quiet in the background and we hadn't really thought too much about how quickly her character would change because I, I think the rest of the characters have just started a journey. Lily seems to finish that journey before he leaps out. This is a, that's a little bit similar to what happens in So Help Me God, isn't it? He's like the white guy who's Mm. helping a a, a black client and his wife is very racist. Yes. Yeah. Except in that one, they don't have any redemption arc for her. So you don't really know how that ends with those two. Yeah. Well, I guess, Matt, that speaks to an element. That's that's an element of the larger problem that I, I had with the end of this episode, yeah. And it's not so much Sam's speech. To me, that's in perfect keeping with Sam. And mm-hmm. I actually quite enjoyed the speech. I thought Scott nailed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think that Gene would have had a turn of heart. Mm-hmm. And um, I honestly don't believe that Sam would not have been hung, in the, or Clyde would not have been hung in that circumstance. Um, and even if Gene did have the turn of heart, say he said, I, I'm sure that the other guys would have grabbed him and strung him up too, because that's how dyed in the wool racist they are. Just because they said to Sam when he was tied up on the floor, you're worse than the N word. You're the white N word. Yeah. And that shows you like, he's now persona non grata. He is just filth to them because he betrayed everything that they believe in. Why wouldn't that happen to Gene, too, if Mm. he did, you know, if for whatever reason he saw the light? And that, to me, is what – I know you have to have the ending that way for TV because Sam has Mm. to leap and things have to be better and I get it and it it works, you know. But I just don't buy it. Just don't buy it. Do you think that – I mean, I agree that it was, like, wrapped up a little too easy because it's it's TV. You kind of have to. But – do you think they would think twice about it if it was someone that they considered more human? Even though it, they hated him for doing that and they said, you know, they called him the white N-word and all that stuff, they would think more about it than a black person. When you say they, I'm, I'm, I just want to make sure I know that what you're asking. So the are KKK, you saying so yeah. because it was Gene, it would carry more weight because of the, they held him in esteem. Yeah, like they wouldn't string up Gene because they saw him as like a father figure, someone who helped with the crops and ate chicken with them, and they wouldn't think about him the same way that they would think about stringing up a black person who they just would consider not even like a human being. I see what you're saying. Okay, I mean, I, I suppose that's, I suppose that's plausible. But they seem to have no problem doing it to Clyde. And Clyde was part of the community with them as well. I mean, he was a newer yeah. part. Yeah, but in the end, they did not kill him. It's No, it's true. And in the end, it's, I guess everything sort of worked out. It just it makes you wonder, like, where when, – when Clyde leaps back in, what his situation is and how how they move on from this yeah i don't i don't think they had a very easy situation after that like he didn't change the kkk yeah so it's like did clyde did, did they move away did they it just it just uh, it, it, not only did i find it unbelievable but it also just then brought up many more problems than solutions 
in my mind that Clyde is now going to have to deal with. <laughs> and uh, again, it, wor- it works wonderfully for the emotional arc and, and, and the story arc and to bring the episode neatly home. But once you get past that hug, where the hell do you go from there? I guess that's sort of the problem with any episode about something like this. You can't solve racism within a leap. You can't solve something that's systemic and um, that widespread, and it's not just one person. And I guess that's all he really can do, is just help one person. But you're right, the ending of it, I mean, they're going to have a tough time after that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, he's going to be ostracized. At the very least. Sure. And I can't imagine that men like that wouldn't resort to violence very quickly. So that's that's the the problem I had with the ending. I think that there would have been uh, multiple lynchings that night if this was the real deal. So, but, but for all that, I still think the episode really works. And I absolutely think, and I guess maybe we're getting into final observations. I, I think that this is good Quantum Leap. I think this is like exemplary Quantum Leap. It, it shows you what Quantum Leap can be. And um, for that, I'm, I'm glad that, that I rewatched it even though it made me highly uncomfortable. Mm. That's what makes, that's what's what's so strong about it. Yeah. Because we're still grappling with these issues and Mm -hmm. it's still so salient and everything that it says is still so on the nose. It's just, it's, 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 it's an excellent, an excellent hour of television. Who wrote this? This is someone named Tony Graffia? Yeah, I don't, I think they might be a one and done for the series. Yeah, this is the only one that they wrote. I was trying to look up about them, if it was a black person or... Or she, okay, if she's a... I was just curious, like, what perspective this was coming from. Mm. Uh, okay, looking it up, uh, she's she's not black. Okay. I was just curious. I, don't, I knew nothing about this writer, so... I think a lot of what makes this episode good is how well and how, how cleverly and how subtly they present the white people in it. So I don't think you need a black perspective to write this well, because everything we've been talking about is is how insidious this culture is. Sure, like and like, uh, I don't think because it was written by a white person, it makes it less of a powerful message. No. Uh, no. I, I was just curious yeah, because yeah. Um, I was a too. lot of episodes about uh, black issues tended to be written by Deborah Pratt, weren't yeah. they? But they they were often taken from a very black perspective, and I think justice mm-hmm. is is taken from a white perspective. It it is. It's very much about the members of the KKK yeah. and and the white society that surrounds yeah this racism. Oh, it'd be really interesting to speak to her about the process of writing this episode and what her background was that made her so well informed with presenting this world. Wow. Get on that, Hayden. Let's see if we can uh, get her. Uh, I'd love I'd love to speak to her. Yeah. We need to ask her. We'd be like, Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I gave, I gave my final observations, and Matt, you sound like you, you kind of wrapped up, but um, do you have anything else to say, and then we'll throw to Allison, or? Yeah, it's, it, uh, as you say, it is, it is an exemplary um, quantum leap, as far as the, the the social justice sides go, I, I still think there's a lot that makes Quantum Leap good, and most of my favourite Quantum Leap episodes balance more than one element. Um, 
this really is a very, very serious episode. It's not one I would start people off with. Um, it is one of my favourites. Um, and yes, it is good Quantum Leap. Uh, but there's... It's missing something, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. What's it missing? Um, some of those... No, in fact, it's definitely not a bad thing. But it's uh, in terms of is it good Quantum Leap, it's missing... Um, uh, a lot of the the humor and romance that a lot of really good quantum leaps have, but neither of those would have been fitting in this episode. So I I don't see that as being a a downside. It 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 appears that the writer has very consciously taken one thing that makes quantum leap good and run with it and done the best they possibly can with it. And yeah, it it shows. So I'm only identifying that as a technicality. It's not a criticism. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it's salient. That's a salient point. Allison? I think I feel uh, pretty much uh, the same as Matt. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite episodes. It's, it's not really uh, one that I like to rewatch much, but um, it is very well made. I'd say that it is good Quantum Leap. And yeah, the ones that I like the most tend to have uh, more of that humor and romance and, and some of the lighthearted stuff balanced into it. But that doesn't mean that this was a badly made episode. It just means, like, for me, it wasn't one of my favorites. All right, guys. Well, very interesting discussion. I, I got to tell you, I'm breathing a little bit easier. I, I, I was a little nervous going into this one. I don't know that I expressed myself. In, Would you think uh, we were coming coming into it being racist <laughs> or yeah, something? No, or? it's just, it's, it's like I said, we're living in such politically... I don't politically really get, we're the KKK, the bad guys. <laughs> I mean, come on. Did I tell you when I was a member of the KKK? What the <laughs> spit take? <laughs> I love you guys. Oh, I'm such a serious son. I'm like a gloomy Gus and hear you guys. Oh, you're actually doing a show. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I mean, like, like uh, you know, the episode is a fairly serious one. Um, and also, like, I understand your worries, too. And if anyone's listening and thinks that we have said something wrong or there's like a perspective that you want to provide that maybe we didn't cover here. Like I encourage people to say something because mm. I never want to be ignorant of something or saying something that, that perhaps is uh, not correct. So like, I, I would like people to, to come to us with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, I, I agree with you, Allison there. I mean, this, this is a media episode and it, yeah, we, we would encourage people to tell us what what you think about it, listeners. And we will tell you how to do that after the break when we go to viewer feedback. So stay tuned. We got some feedback coming and uh, we'll see you on the flip side. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I'm Gabe. I'm Carlo. And we are the co-hosts of a month of Mondays podcast. We are the monthly wrestling podcast. Carlo, how do you feel about our podcast? I feel like what this is, Gabe, is a wrestling magazine for our fans out there to take a listen. A kind of lighter hard side the pro wrestling with some funny stories, some insights, and just to have some fun with you, man. And you know what? That's what I like. I like podcasts where they can just get a little free range. 
we all have listened to a podcast that's week to week that tells you the exact up-to-date news of wrestling, but this gives us a chance to talk about a little bit of the deeper dives of pro wrestling. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momwrestlingpod, on Twitter at Monday's Podcast, or at baronsface.com slash momwrestlingpod. You can find this podcast anywhere fine podcasts are given away for free because you don't sell podcasts. If you will. This is Jane Sippet, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey, Chris. Yeah. We got some feedback, don't we? <laughs> We're back, yes. And as promised, we do have some terrific feedback. This actually. is great. I, I, I got a kick out of this one. We heard from our recently new Patreon supporter, uh, Melanie Alberts. Melanie is at the $5 Leaper level. So, of course, you get a mention on the show when you join at that level. And she was happy Thanks, that Melanie. we... Thanks, Melanie. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Melanie. Uh, yeah, and we appreciate the support, but we appreciate even more that you reach out and you let us know what you think and that you engage with us that 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 to me makes this all worth it as we get a dialogue going with our listeners and um fellow quantum leap fans and melanie had a had a fun letter um can i start guys sure Go for it. Mel- melanie writes um hi folks um i don't mind that you mentioned me quote too late for backing if you guys remember i didn't realize that she had become a backer and we mentioned her name i think like two months after she started supporting <laughs> us so she's telling me this okay so So that's why this letter starts the way it does. I don't mind that you mentioned me too late for backing you on Patreon. I just thought you recorded a few episodes in advance. And now you mentioned me in two episodes. Now three. Now three, exactly. Mm. And she goes on to write, and more stuff on Patreon? I can only say, yeah. As a non-native English speaker and someone who has never been to the US, I have a little question. Al calls people he doesn't like nozzle. (laughs) The only explanation for the word nozzle I found is that it's a beak to pour liquids out of a can or the opening when you spray the content out of an aerosol can. Is it a common thing to call people nozzle or just a little oddity from Quantum Leap? I never heard it in any other movie or TV series I watched in English. Thank you for all the work you put in producing the podcast. I am always happy when I see that there is a new episode. Sincerely yours, Melissa. Melanie. (laughs) Melanie. (laughs) Her too. <laughs> Sincerely yours, Melanie Melissa Alberts. <laughs> Sorry, Melanie. I was clearly not paying attention. Actually, the name wasn't written on the bottom. I had to look at the top again. Sincerely miss- yours, I'm- feedback info is what we're looking <laughs> feedback at. Feedback info. <laughs> uh, did you guys- I meant to- I-, I remember reading this and then I totally forgot to look up Nozzle's origins. I mean, it's certainly like it's it's a dated term. I have never heard this outside Quantum Leap. I, I'm with Melanie Melissa. This feels like one of those like really old timey insults. Really? See, really? yeah, I'm 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 with Matt on this. I I have never heard this uttered by anyone but Dean Stockwell as Al Calavici. It, <laughs> it's a future term, is what you're saying. In the year two thousand whatever, nineteen ninety nine, they would call people a nozzle. That's exactly what I assumed. <laughs> why don't why don't we go around the table? I'm and see Wait, what nozzle means to you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Matt, start. What, what does nozzle mean what? to you, sir? <laughs> what kind of a question is that? How do you well, that's what Melanie is asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it. I think you can tell from the context he's using it as a, a quite a generic put down for a a, a creep. 
I, I, I can only, I can only think of synonyms for other, other bad words you'd call someone. But yeah, it just seems to be something, something he comes out with to describe people that he has no respect for. Okay, but not he's not he's not referencing anything specifically. You just think it's no. A generic I I I think it down. was yeah. They they came to a point in an early episode and wanted to come up with something that he could say that didn't sound like modern slang because that would immediately date the show. And hmm. they a nozzle sounds good. Wow, is there now definitive? Uh, do you have this in Beyond the Mirror Image? The 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 tracking of nozzle. When was nozzle first used? No, I. Is that one of the appendices? No, but you know what? I, I still have every single episode uh, transcribed in a Google spreadsheet. So give me two minutes and I'll find out for you. <laughs> you have to be kidding me. No, no, I'm, I'm not yeah. kidding. Uh, You're a special kind of crazy. Yeah. I've been just Googling nozzle insults. <laughs> Here's something that's come up. <laughs> this is a little bit blue, so I don't know if it needs to be cut out. All right. Nozzle as an insult. Uh, nozzle, a part of a douchebag that goes inside a vagina. It's used <laughs> wow. as an insult and is considered worse than being just a douche or a douchebag. <laughs> also, douche nozzle. Yeah, I think I've heard douche nozzle, actually. Douche nozzle, <sighs> a rude, obnoxious, or contemptible person. Uh, see also, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, they got a whole list. Thesaurus jerk, um, male jerks, female jerks, jerks by objectionable quality. Ah, oh, the internet. What would we do without it? Fuckoid. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> no one's ever called anyone that. Um, you know, also like nozzle could be like something that spouts off gas and stuff. And uh, honestly, oh. I I do think it's just a dated term. That's just my guess, though. Okay. I I feel like this is something people must have said. Uh, like in old timey times, you know, how he calls people knuckle nose. That mm. feels like something someone in like the 30s or 40s would say. Okay. Okay. Um, in answer to your question, animal frat. 11 minutes 43 seconds. Al says you got to be on the lookout for that nozzle. Was that the first time? That was the first time. He said it three times during season two. Um, <laughs> he also said it again in Seabride and MIA. Well, and see, now, I didn't think it was old-timey at all. I just thought it was code for dick. I just thought he was calling people a dick, and that's the way you were able to do it on TV yeah. back in the 90s. Well, yeah, no, TV, TV friendly, for sure, but yeah. I think... They would use, they would often use like dated or maybe soft terms uh, that were TV friendly because they couldn't say bastard or dick or whatever. And now they say it quite frequently, like all the time. So, especially on Supernatural. They love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't, it, you couldn't say dick on TV back then, unless, of course, you were referring to a detective of some sort. <laughs> And then uh, lots of puns were to be had there. Or President with what Nixon. they could get away with. <laughs> yeah, you would, you would frequently hear people say things like, I don't give a fig. <laughs> I don't give a hot fudge Sunday. I think I heard that on, on Greatest American Hero once. <laughs> Doesn't give a hot fudge Sunday about him. <laughs> like, no one says these things, but... Um, I guess that's what the books are for. The books, the Quantum Leap books got so excited because they could have Al swear in them. <laughs> Do you have my book on a spreadsheet, Matt? Did I have Al swear? Uh, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't think that I would have had Al swear because it's not, to me, that's not in his character. Memphis Melody was the last time he used the word nozzle. No. Right up to the end. 
There was a Quantum Leap novel, uh, I think this was Obsessions, that starts with Sam leaping in and going, shit! (laughs) I have it right here on the shelf. Now I have to look. Finally, Sam can say it. (laughs) He he can say what we all wanted him to. I'm sorry if you got to do a long censor there. (laughs) Stand by. I'm going to look up Obsessions right now. (laughs) I'm sure that's the one where he does that. And it might have just been um, in his mind uh, in italics. He didn't say it out loud, but he was thinking, shit! The, yeah, the novels are great because they can they can get um, more adult language and adult situations than the TV show. Yeah, Doctor Who did something like that in the 90s while it was off air. They had a series of novels that suddenly started being very grown up. And I, I did air quotes at that point then because they just involved lots of... Um, they would never, um, like, it wouldn't go into, like, R-rated territory. Like, it'd be maybe PG-13. All right, gang. At least in the Quantum Leap novels. Yeah, in, in the Doctor oh, Who stuff, they know. gave one of the companions an STD at one point. We're back in? Um, oh. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? What the what? Oh, look at this. I just got obsessions off my shelf. It? Yeah. And um, I have a very nice personalization from Carol Davis to Chris. Thanks for the support Aww. and best of luck with foreknowledge. Carol Davis, 102597. Thank you so much, Carol. How Aww. sweet. All right, let's see. That's so nice. <laughs> Really late getting to the podcast with that feedback, huh? Nineteen ninety seven. One were... of the many ways to contact us is to write something in the front of a book. <laughs> I think now it's saying get your ass out of here is the There first is a thing. shit in there. Help Move your asses. <laughs> Go there more. Where's the shit? He fall. He's falling off a pier. I remember. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I think a dog pushes him off the pier. Yeah. Oh. I do remember this because I was very tickled by it. <laughs> I, I forgot the move your asses though too. He just he does swear a lot more than Sam would. I would think in that one. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing. I see. I don't see a shit. All right, let me get my copy. Uh-oh. We're going to do this. Is it going to be right there? I mean, it would stand out for all the eyes, I would think. <laughs> this has turned into the Quantum Leap reading circle, everyone. Well, I'm just I'm bringing up my, uh, my copy of your book to see if I can find the word nozzle in it. I'm sure I used nozzle. I used all of the uh, the colloquialisms from the show. I was like colloquialisms on steroids. Because it was only used an average okay. of about five times a, a season, so if you if you managed to get it in more than once, you were well above average. Oh, well, I've heard that about myself, so. <laughs> All right, here's uh, Obsessions by Carol Davis, page four. Oh, see, now you don't All have right. a nice inscription on the title page? Sorry. <laughs> no, I oh. don't. Okay. Uh, An instant before he would have flopped into the icy water a second time, he flung his arms around one of the pilings that supported the dock, crunching his left knee and right shoulder into the wood. (gasps) You're right, there it is! (laughs) The pain brought his voice to a crescendo, forming a single word. (laughs) Shit! (laughs) This was an audible shit, not just a thought shit. I gotcha. All right. Well, Uh, next Patreon bonus will be Alison Pregler doing a dramatized reading. Here is my reading of Obsessions. (laughs) That was a preview. (laughs) Well, I don't know if this helped Melanie at all, but I'm sure I haven't fun. I think think the answer is it's TV friendly. The origins, we're not sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think it's, yeah, it's just code for dick. Anyway, um, <laughs> it was nice digging out my Quantum Leap novels. I haven't, I haven't played with them in a little while, uh, but they're right there. They're ready and handy, ready to go. So maybe I'll reread hey. them. Anyway, um, thank you, Melanie. That's the cover of Obsessions. It's him falling it's, off the dog yeah, going, I know. As, as you were describing <laughs> that, I was thinking, that's the cover. <laughs> That's pretty freaking hilarious. Oh, what a great moment. Should have had a speech bubble on it. Hey, Sam's wearing a turtleneck on the front. That looks weird. Well, here's mm. the funny thing about the thing on the front. Okay, so Sam's wearing the turtleneck a la Spock in Where No Man Has Gone Before <laughs> in the Star Trek Yeah, pilot. it's kind of a thick one. Right, that thick, sort of that thick gold turtleneck that Spock wears. And to Sam's left above him, it looks a hell of a lot like Nana Visitor. So it's like he's got the Spock tunic going. Kira's over his uh, one, one side of him and... I guess Al. <laughs> Al's, yeah. I don't know. That that little thing that's on his tie. That could be what's on the side of the Enterprise. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's very, very <laughs> Trek-inspired, this cover to me. Except for the dog and the pier and the shit. <laughs> the dog looks very proud of himself. <laughs> He's like, you're next. Yeah. But it's a beautiful cover. I mean. Oh, yeah. All the covers are really great. Like the, um, I don't know if they had the same artist for all of them, but... Uh... No, they looked really spectacular. Ones, but yeah, um, some of the UK variants are interesting. Yeah, I have actually. Maybe I'll post this on the website or on the Patreon feed. But I have the original artwork um, for my cover, and it's a <gasps> little bit different. It's a little bit different than the. Um, and not, I don't have like the painting. Sorry, Matt. No, it's a print that uh, Berkeley sent me when yeah. when the cover was being made before they had put it you know on on the flat it's just the the painting that um, let me go see if i can get the artist what the hell wow. his name is hang on gardener i want to say Ooh, i'm excited yeah it says gardener on yeah. the so it's gardener mr gardener whoever he is thank you for the cover but it's different than what's on the book um mm. sam's hair is, is tousled because of i guess you know and that person that's over his shoulder supposed to be Sammy Joe. That's not supposed to be Amory. Amory is the one in the silver cat suit, like a Bond villain, holding the gun on oh, Sam. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Sam Can looks I a lot I... <laughs> a lot more flustered on my uh on the original artwork for my cover. And uh, I, I really want to see that. Yeah. 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 I'll send you guys a picture as soon as we get off mic. But actually no, let me send you a picture now so you can uh, respond to it. Hang on a second, all right? Ooh, okay, okay. Hmm. I, I did want to say uh, I love the cover of your book because Sam's got like a little bow tie and like he's by some beakers while she's like threatening him with the gun. I just love that like Sam back then's wearing like a nerdy bow tie and stuff. But I love I love the way his hands are up in a kind of hey all right all right calm down. It's, <laughs> oh no! It's, no, hang on. I know we, you've got a gun, but it's it's just chill. <laughs> It's quite we a relaxed. Solve gun violence forever. Yeah. <laughs> I need to build a time machine for this. I don't know why he sounds like a teenager. I don't think he was back then, but I think the time period was when he was in his twenties, maybe thirties. Been a while since I read it. <laughs> I just love that cover. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it is. I've been staring at it for the last ten minutes while my computer OCRs it, just so that I can search for the word nozzle. <laughs> Oh man! So I mean, the whole last ten minutes we've been talking, I've just been looking at the cover of Foreknowledge. All right, I'm back, guys. Um, hey, oh, I just sent it to the Justice thread on the uh, on the Facebook. On the Facebook. <laughs> All right, nice. let me do a side by side comparison here. Oh yeah, did they use Ooh. that the tousled hair version no. for the cover of another one? Not that I'm aware of. 
I feel like it looks kind of familiar. I f- I feel like they used that on. Uh... Well, let's look. I got I got the books right here. Um, let me go grab them. I got them all. Okay, random measures. I think they were just using the same uh, uh, reference picture. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, if you look at random measures, it's the same face, basically, with the tousled hair. That is a beautiful picture, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. That's really interesting to see the the early version of that. Did they create that before the layout change? Because all the, that background image on the right... It's kind of superfluous. Well, my book started a new trend with the novels where they just did that, the, like the last three or so. It's the same with, same with Heatwave and with Loch Ness Leap where they just cut the picture in half. But it, it's a really unbalanced layout if you just leave it the way it is there. It kind of does, it, it makes sense um, having it cut in half because everything's on the left-hand side. Yeah, and I think that they maybe deliberately told them to paint it that way because they knew they were just going to use the part with the gun, Sam being yeah. held hostage, as uh, the little part that sticks out into the into the white field. Anyway, this is interesting to nobody but us, but it sure is interesting. I think it's interesting. <laughs> like, I think that's really that's gorgeous. That background. Tell you what's super interesting to me though. Um, usually, they leave the artist's signature on the art somewhere, but it's very specifically. It's in her shadow on Chris's painting, but on the cover, the shadow is completely flat, I think. I'm looking it at... It doesn't s- have the gardener, because that's right where it would be. It's yeah. between her legs. Yeah. But not on the not on the final cover. I'm looking no, at a scan of it. No, it wouldn't be, because they, they cut that, right? Yeah. That's just floating, that, that, that part. Yeah, but she has a shadow underneath her in the, in the cutout version. Yeah. But then that would have appeared... Directly above the words based on the Universal Television series, it would have looked really odd being there. It would have been distracting. Yeah, it's not there. You're right, there is. They put like a little blue shadow. Oh my gosh. They cheated Gardner. It's okay. You've got the original with her. Yeah, I'm really glad that I saved that. Yeah, I'm curious, like, I don't know. Can we find that artist? Talk to him? I'm sure we could. I'm curious about... Or, or her. I'm not sure who Gardner is, but uh, yeah, I'm curious about these covers now. Very interesting. All right, we'll reach out and we'll see. We'll see what we can find. And then you could you could thank Gardner personally for the for the cover of the book there that you there got. There you go, Allison. I like the way you're thinking. Ah. I'm thinking like a producer, Stephen Gardner. <laughs> Stephen Gardner. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Yes. Who did? Um, yeah, most of the. Second half of the range. Ooh, actually, possibly even some of the first half of the range. It it feels like most of them are one person, so it might be most are him. Yeah, the early ones are... Ah, oh, Keith Birdsong did the first few. That was the name I was trying to remember. Mm. And then Colin Howard um, did one. And then, yeah, I think the rest of them switched to Stephen. Yeah, that's funny because the gardener is front and center in uh, Loch Ness Leap and in um, Heatwave. Yeah, in Obsessions, you can see the name. Yeah, in the dock. Uh, but I mean, this is after like the, the edit. Um, hmm, I wonder what the contract was like if they didn't have to put his name on there or whatever. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Awesome stuff. 
Well, I, I love that we're getting this this peek behind the curtain here. We're seeing the early version that you have. Yeah, I don't know that it's good podcasting, but <laughs> get these exclusives. We should be doing a full knowledge episode of the podcast. Well, it never, yeah. it never even occurred to me that that would be of interest to anybody. It was just a little, like oh. a little tick that I, you know, or just a, a little inconsistency that when, even when I spoke to Ginger about it, she said the cover's probably not going to be final like that. They're probably, I told them, I told them to fix Sam's hair. <laughs> oh, did you say that? <laughs> no, no, she did. That's what Ginger told me. Oh, she did. She's like, oh. yeah, so I told, I told them to fix Sam's hair. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of like the fact that he's harried in that picture, but. <laughs> anyway, you guys, now I'm, I'm going to have to put this up on the website so you guys can see oh, yeah. it. Um, that'll be quantumleappodcast.com. And this is why I love feedback so much and why I love it when listeners interact with us. Because from this wonderful letter comes so much unexpected dialogue and discourse into the minutiae of fandom. And I'm just going to say it straight out. I love the turn that the podcast has taken in the last few episodes where we just go gonzo fan boy uh, <laughs> on the second half just talking about anything whether it be green lantern or now the book covers or 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 whatever i just it's so interesting to just to, to freewheel and we have our 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 listeners like melanie to thank for that so thank you very much melanie um for thanks for, melissa <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, Thanks, Mark. We encourage you <laughs> to be like Melanie and to be like um, everyone else that has written us in the past or somehow reached out. There are many ways that you can contact us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can get us on the phone at 707-847-6682. You can get us by email like Melanie did at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Quantum Leap Pod. And you can also be like Melanie, go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember that any comments that you send may be used in a future episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And, you know, I, I think it's wonderful that Melanie is able to support us and um, our other Patreon supporters are able to support us. But, you know, you don't have to support us monetarily. Another thing that you can do if you want to help grow the show and to help keep us going is just tell a friend about the Quantum Leap Podcast, a fellow fan who you think would enjoy it. I mean, we're always trying to grow the listener base. We don't have any kind of money to do that. So we rely on the word of mouth and the kindness of our listeners, listeners like you. So if you enjoy this show, turn someone else on to it so that they can enjoy it and maybe turn someone else on. And that's how listener bases are built. It's all word of mouth. And that's really, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters. Are you going to listen to a show because you saw an ad about it? No, you're going to listen to a show because someone recommended it to you. So if you could do us that solid, that's just as good as being a Patreon supporter in my book. And we do appreciate all of the, the love and support that we hear from you, our listeners. All right. So, hey, good on you, Mel. Yeah. Yay, Melanie. All right. So I guess that that's the end of the feedback. So what's next? What's coming up next, guys? Ooh, permanent wave. Hey, Frank. I swept the floor and took out the trash. Can I go to Phil's for some candy? Sure. Really? You haven't rinsed her yet. Is that, is that too, Frank, like, it's uh, too hot. Yeah. Um, Where's Kyle? He went to uh, Bill's to get some candy. You mean Bill's? I'm sorry, Bill. Frank, are you crazy? Laura never lets him go out alone. Why not? Ah!
your favorite episode, Matt. <laughs> How can you tell? <laughs> I always sound excited at the end of the show. I don't know. Permanent uh, wave. Do you do you remember this one, Chris? Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Oh, really? <laughs> So, <laughs> you know what? I'm looking forward to watching that one. I like that one. So I, I'm not surprised you like it, Alison. For some reason, I, I, I would have put this down as one of your favorites. I fe- I'm feeling the Piano Man vibes in the, in yeah. the room today. I remember it in, in broad <laughs> strokes, and uh, I look forward to revisiting it um, under under this new context to see if it's what I remember or <laughs> what I don't remember or whatever. But uh, it's it's bound to be interesting in, in any event. So until that time, folks, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you on the permanent wave. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris. With voice talent and contributions from Zoe Dean and Hayden McQueenie. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Allison, and Christopher DeFilippis. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap Universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Uh, of interest to no one, page 173 of Foreknowledge contains the word nozzle. Yay! Hey, I, you did it! it <laughs> sorry, my, my computer's been OCRing for about 20 minutes. Um, I don't know what that means. But it was worth it. It was worth it. <laughs> I now have a completely searchable copy of Chris's book. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that the one that uh, that Albie scanned or someone scanned? Yeah, was, I've I've got all of Albie's scans here, but I haven't OCR'd any of them. And uh, yeah, I thought well, that seemed like a good a time as any oh. to start. You know, the interesting thing is that Al is calling himself a nozzle in this. Ah. Oh. Uh, no spoilers for foreknowledge. No context for you, but. He also uses the word numbnuts a couple of paragraphs before that. Numbnuts. That's a a term that my dad always used. (laughs) Yeah, with a Z. That's them books. You can call people numbnuts. (laughs) That's the stuff. When I was reading the books, oh man, that cracked me up every time. (laughs) I'm sure, I don't remember that specific instance, but I'm sure I laughed at numbnuts. Good, I'm glad. Today I'll solve racism forever.